Thank you for downloading this Downtown Hope Sermon Podcast. We're a faith-based community in the city of Annapolis, Maryland, orienting our lives around Jesus and exist to see the people of our city, region, and world thrive with the hope found in His gospel. Now, please enjoy the Sermon Podcast. Hey, great to be here again with you, and uh, we, as David mentioned, are concluding our two-week Real Talk series called Connectedness, uh, called uh, Connected. Um, every so often, you know, our, our approach is just reading and working right through the Scripture, the whole Council of Scripture. We're going to be heading into Revelation starting next week, so track along with us in the daily. Um, but we try to take pause uh, every so often to kind of look at a topic, an idea that comes up out of Scripture to us that is a particular thing that as our elder team and and ministry team has been praying, we have sensed um, the Lord wants to do something deeper in us as a church as it relates to being connected. And this has, of course, a lot to do with coming out of the trauma of a pandemic, and there's a lot of isolation. season, we believe, uh, not just these two weeks, but moving forward, for us to grow more deeply connected in Christ. And the passage we're looking at these two weeks uh, is 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, 1 through 8. You can follow along with me, and I'm going to read it again. Uh, David brought out um, much of that, this, uh, uh, much, much truth from this passage last week uh, that um, our affection for one another springs from the affection that we are receiving from God himself manifested through the love of Christ on the cross. That's what was one of David's main points last week. And this morning, we're going to look at the same passage, but we're going to just look a little bit more in depth as to what this affection or connection for us as a church, okay? Um, You know, every week as we gather to jump into the Word, we just want to encourage you, like, don't let this just be an intellectual exercise. We believe that the Lord has brought you here um, for a purpose, and He wants to speak and change our lives collectively. So let me read this passage, and then we'll pray and dive in. Sound good? All right. First Thessalonians chapter 2, starting verse 1. For you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you was not in vain. But though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated at Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the gospel of God conflict. For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak not to please man, but to please God who tests our hearts. For we never came with words of flattery, as you know, nor with a pretext for greed, God is witness. Nor did we seek glory from people, whether from you or others, though we could have made demands as apostles of Christ. But we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And this is the verse right here that we're sort of culminate to. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not the gospel of God, but also our own selves, because you had become very dear to us. And this is God's Word. Let's pray. Lord, as we open up this passage and we're living in this time, in this moment, we believe that your truth is eternal and it speaks, it has spoken and it continues to speak generationally. Uh, Generation to generation, your Spirit has illuminated truth and we pray that you would do that this morning to us, for us, and you 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 would evoke us, you would convict us, Lord, you would assure us and comfort us. You know what each of us needs in this room this morning. 
And we, you are meeting here with us. And so we yield to you. Draw us deeper into the life that we have in you, Father, Son, Holy Spirit. And draw us deeper then into the life that you have offered us to have with one another. Lord, this is one of the, the most challenging pressure points, one of the greatest challenges in our cultural moment. Lord, we know you can overcome the rampant individualism in our lives and our independence and forge in us a deeper um, unity and a deeper dependency on you and on one another. So, so, so would you stir that in us? In Jesus' name we pray, amen. New article, April 28, 2021. Here's the title. Doctors harness the power of human connections. Uh, a couple quotes from the article. We found that cognition and quality of life seems to improve significantly when patients are in a group. Pretty amazing, huh? Like, it's kind of like, duh, but it's like, actually, it's pretty insightful. Reward centers of our brain light up when we connect with others. And this has led to something that doctors are calling social prescriptions. Not an actual, uh, you know, pill, but actual social prescription, which often encourages patients to engage with other people and, the, and this kind of social state in this article can help treat a wide range of issues, including dementia, isolation, anxiety, depression, obesity, and high blood pressure. Isn't it amazing how God made us and how deeply connected we are um, and, how, and how he made us and how important it is for us to be together? And it's no wonder then that in 1 Thessalonians 2, as the Apostle Paul is recounting his ministry to the, to the Thessalonican church, to his friends and brothers and sisters there, in verse 8, he pens what scientists are affirming. Because we loved you so much, he says, we were delighted to share with you not only the gospel of God, but our lives as well. I want you to just, I want us just to sit in this over the next few minutes here and think about how profound, how profoundly simple this is and how, and how intense this is, what a cost this is, okay? The love Paul and his companions, because he's writing in, in plural form here, right? He's not saying I, Paul. He's saying we, Paul, Silas, Timothy. He says, the love that Paul and his companions had for the community in Christ in Thessalonica had sprung up in their hearts to such an extent, get this, that words were not enough. Words weren't just enough by themselves. They were to share their very lives together. And there's two significant words in this verse that we, we just want to frame our time together today. There's two words here. It's the word share, and it's the word life, okay? So the word share here in Greek is to impart, to give, to share. Uh, this is the giving of the whole lot, okay? This isn't just like, oh, let me just give, share a little bit with you here. This is like everything that I am, everything that I have, it's all yours. The full portion this is the releasing of time, your time that you hold so precious. This is, the release, this is us releasing our agendas that we hold even maybe more precious. Um, this is the release of resources. To, have, to, to embody and live a kind of life together. And the second word is life. Suhe. This word actually means breath. 
the breath of life. It's the vital force which animates the body and shows itself breathing. Another way to describe this is the soul. Okay? That's what Paul and his friends are saying. We, we weren't just willing to share the gospel with you in words, but we actually wanted to share our souls with you. Okay? Anybody feeling uncomfortable yet? I mean, talk about the intimacy that the gospel demands of us. The love that had arrested Paul and his friends was welling in them in such a way that it demanded their very lives. And when you put these two words together, these two words describe one of the most profound expressions of the gospel itself, and that's what we might call a life together or we might call a shared life. And that's, that's the message this morning. What, what is a shared life in Christ? What does that look like? What does that taste like? What is that, what is that life? What is that peculiar kind of life together that Jesus' followers are called to live in? Okay? But here is the big problem, and it's a huge problem in my life. I'll be the first to admit this, and it's probably a problem in your life. Okay? In our modern Western context, this is one of the most challenging things for us to do. Okay? We are so independent. We are so, live so much of our lives in isolation, on our devices, in our rooms, alone. Many of us suffer or know someone who suffers from isolation or loneliness or depression or anxiety or just go through our days generally feeling a sense of deep unknownness. Does anybody feel that way? Do you know people who feel that way? Just go, go to work, go back to the house, do their thing, and just do they feel like they're seen or known by anybody at all? Known or even sadness comes in this, disconnected, and we waste a lot of times on things that make us feel like we have a sense of company while all the while we're living lives of quiet desperation. And this is not what Christ died for. This is a little bit of what Paul is saying here. This is not the vision of what a com- the community in Jesus is to look like. There actually is not such a thing as an individualistic faith. Okay, let me just push in a little bit here. There is no such thing as I can be a Christian but not, in, not be an intimately, consequentially connected to other believers in a local community. You actually just don't see that. This, maybe, you've, maybe you've said this yourself. Maybe you've heard other people say this. I'm a Christian. I just don't like going to church. Or I'm a Christian. I just don't like being around other Christians or being in community. That's not the definition of what it means to be a Christian. At the core of who God is, Father, Son, Holy Spirit, is a community. And we are to embody and replicate and, and live in and participate in that community. And the Scripture in general And this passage for our series, Connected, offers us a radical alternative to a life of isolation. And that's what what this passage challenges us with this morning. So there's three things we're going to look at. What does this shared life look like together? Okay, And I think there's three things that come out of this. It's transparent, it's self-giving, and it's costly. Okay, Three, Three observations from this passage as Paul is talking. A shared life is transparent self-giving, and costly. Now, it was beautiful as I was reading through this um, passage and meditating on us because over the last seven months, I've had the gift along with a, a wonderful team to have a front, um, front row seat in a new community that's forming just about a mile from here 
in Christ in Robinwood, one of our city's public housing communities. And as Paul is describing his experience of this shared life, I'm realizing that over the last seven months in my brothers and sisters in Christ in this neighborhood, I'm seeing this kind of shared life emerge. And I actually think we might have a lot to learn from our brothers and sisters there. Okay, So as we go through these observations, I'm just going to share a couple of stories from the community uh, as we go. So first, a shared life is transparent. Okay, transparent. Where do we see that? We see that in verse 3 and verse 4. Paul writes, For our appeal does not spring from error or impurity or any attempt to deceive, but just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the speak not to please men, but to please God who tests our hearts. What is Paul saying here? He's saying, listen, when I came among you, when I began to share this life with you, okay, I made it a goal. We made it a goal not to be deceptive, okay? Not to sort of do runarounds, but just to be absolutely transparent before you. What you see is what you get. Their appeal did not spring from error or impurity or attempt to deceive. Uh, They did not speak to please man, but God, okay? Um, They didn't come with, in verse 5, they didn't come with flattery or greed or for their own glory. It's like Paul and his friends are like, we are here to serve you, to love you, to do life together, and what you see is what you get. And you can see us, and here we are, and call us out on anything that's there. And, and, that, and that is profound transparency. Um, I wish you could be on some of the text threads with the community that's forming, the community of believers that's forming in Robinwood. I mean, you talk about transparent, you talk about raw, it is real. I mean, and I'm not going to share details, but it is beautifully real. Nobody's holding back. There's none of this sort of curated uh, middle class, let me, let me sort of curate my image, my perspective. It's just what you see is what you get. I kind of like that this morning. Um, the space is in a little bit of a raw state, isn't it? Okay? It's kind of actually a visual expression of the kind of transparency we ought to live in. I love that the team made the decision to say, you know, what, we're going to continue to gather here, even if it's not all painted perfectly. And, you know, thankfully there's no hanging wires loose that could electrify, uh, electrocute anybody. That was a good decision. But I like the fact that it's a little bit raw here this morning, isn't it? It's a little bit new. And you know what that does? It makes us uncomfortable. And you know what that does? It pushes us deeper into one another. And that uncomfortability is okay. There's a transparency there. I felt a little bit of place coming in here this morning. In one sense, I was like, man, this reminds us, reminds me of when we used to meet in the old Bates space, and it's so open, and I love it. And I'm like, wait, but this is different from last week. What, what is this like? What's going to happen? What's the Lord going to do? It had, it had turned out in, the, in, in Robinwood, in the community, there was one person who was treating another person in an unhealthy way, and that had been going on for a couple of years and it came out in a Bible study. <laughs> Isn't that great? When it just sort of, there it is, right there. And lots of, lots of drama, lots of frustration came out, and we processed afterwards, and we had to go to this person and just say, hey, listen, here, here's what we've heard is going on. Is this true? Is this, was this going on in your life and how you're relating? To and the guy said, absolutely, it was completely true. I regret it. I'm, I, I feel uh, convicted about it. I never want to do it again. The transparency. 
I mean, just the fact that it could come out in that kind of Christian community and we could talk about it and he was humble and open. The Spirit of God is working in the lives of the community there and there's transparency. I'm going to quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer a couple times. He has this great book, Life Together, which really is so much about this verse. I'm going to read it slow because Bonhoeffer is a little bit, uh, you know, hard to listen to as you read it. Let me read it. It may be that Christians, notwithstanding corporate worship and all their fellowship and service, may still be left to their loneliness. Okay? Here's what he's, you hear what he's saying here? The final breakthrough to fellowship does not occur because though they have fellowship with one another as believers and as devout people, they do not have fellowship as the undevout. See what he's pushing for? He's pushing for transparency. They do not have fellowship as, as the undevout, as sinners. The pious fellowship permits no one to be a sinner. Do you hear that? Okay. And there's a lot of people, and it's a temptation for all of us in here to play church, to act like we're coming through these doors, and, and our lives aren't a little bit under construction, isn't it? Okay, that's what he's saying here. Bonhoeffer says, we dare not be sinners. Many Christians are, are unthinkably horrified when a real sinner is suddenly discovered among the righteous. It's a shock. Oh my goodness. That person actually isn't perfect. So we remain alone with our sin, living in lies and hypocrisy. The fact is that we are all sinners. And that is a hard word to hear, isn't it? But it is, isn't it true? And, and this is part, I know this is David's heart, this is the elder team's heart, this is our team's heart, is that we would not be people who live opaque lives, but we would share our lives in such a way that we would be willing to confess and be honest and open and transparent. There's wisdom in when you do that and who you do that with and how you do that. But do, at my exhortation, this Paul's exhortation to the Thessalonians, what he's modeling there is, do not go through life isolated. Do not go through life thinking, wearing the mask, thinking that you are not a sinner yourself. Be honest, be transparent, be vulnerable. Let the Lord lead you in that. Don't hide behind words. I think this is part of why Paul says, we didn't only want to share the gospel with our words, but we wanted to share our lives with you because you know what? You can easily hide just behind words, can't you? You can have all the right theology. You can have all the right uh, rhetoric. And you can, be in, in, you can be living a completely isolated, alone life. And probably all of us at some times have experienced that ourselves. And we're all tempted to that ongoingly, myself included. And so the first sort of characteristic of this, this shared life is transparency. The second is self-giving. Paul says, as David mentioned this in, in last week in verse 7, Paul says, um, but we were gentle among you like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. Verse 9, he goes on to say, we work night and day to not be a burden to you. Okay? What comes out of this, Paul and his companions were embodying in this, his shared life together with the, this Thessalonian church was a, a kind of self-giving. He was willing to, to offer his resources. He was willing to offer his time. He was willing to live his life to serve them. Our tendency in human interaction is to ask this basic question. Most of the time, if you're not thinking this consciously, you might be thinking this subconsciously when you meet somebody, when, you're, when you interact with somebody. This is, our, this is at least my first mode often. What is here for me to get or to gain? 
I mean, can we just be transparent about that? <laughs> What's in this relationship? What's in this transaction? What's in this situation for me? But the gospel reorients our lives and causes us to ask an alternative question. What is here for me to offer or to release or to disperse or to share? Okay. A few weeks ago in, in Robinwood, there was a woman who that evening she had gotten incredibly high. She's a newborn baby. She walks out into the streets without any clothing on. And one of the, one of the um, you know, community members shared this as we were breaking bread and, and, and doing life together. And she walks out into the street without any clothes on, holding her newborn child. And one of the women who is part of this forming community in Christ grabs a few other women and try to go and help this woman and say, you need to go back in the house and let us hold your baby for you. You're not in a place to care for this baby right now. Let us help you. Let us serve you. First of all, it's a total disruption to their, her life. And, you know, how many times uh, around that evening time are we thinking, what's going on with our neighbors and how can we serve them? I mean, oftentimes we're like, what's for dinner? You know, what show are we going to watch tonight, right? Am I right? Okay, here is, the, here is this woman in Christ being transformed by grace. She goes with other women to take this baby, to hold this baby from this woman and help this woman get back into her house and to get her help. And do you know what this woman says to her? She says, she says, you just want my baby because you lost yours. And this woman had lost her child years before. Think about the self-giving love manifested in that moment, willing to lay her life down, willing to go and help this woman. And then in, in return, she's reminded of this profound point of pain in her own life. I think about a single mom who's part of this forming community, nine children, a single mom with nine children living in probably a three-bedroom apartment. And she says to the, to the church, to this little forming community almost every week, I love to cook and I love to make food for this community. And she has made the main dish for our potluck multiple weeks. She has sacrificed time, resources, energy to make food so that we could partake in that together. It's a beautiful picture of a shared life, self-giving love. For many of us, the moment is for us here to begin creating space where we are to someone else without expecting to receive anything in return. This is the characteristic of shared life together, a self-giving love. And then lastly, shared life is costly. You see a little bit in that last story, but it's costly. In verse 2 of Chapter 2 here, Paul says, Though we had already suffered and been shamefully treated as Philippi, as you know, we had boldness in our God to declare to you the full gospel. There was conflict. There was a cost to Paul and his friends' shared life with their friends in the church at Thessalonica. In fact, if you remember how the church of Thessalonica was birthed. It was birthed in conflict 
Okay? Um, in verse, in, this is in Acts 15, the first four verses, Paul and his friends arrive in Thessalonica. They go to the synagogue, they share the good news, and a number of people are ushered into the new life in Christ. It's a beautiful moment. But then it says in verse 5, other Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. <laughs> That's hard, isn't it? I mean, when I'm inviting you to be part of this estuary cohort, I mean, God forbid it's this hard, but you're going to face some hardship. That's the cost of the gospel and our shared life together, okay? It goes on. They rush to Jason's house. Poor Jason, right? He's just received the gospel probably for the first time in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other believers before city officials shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here, and Jason has welcomed them into his house. I mean, what if you're Jason? <laughs> you're just like, I, I just believe in Jesus, and now all of a sudden I'm in big trouble with the city. When they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and others post bond and let them go. This is how the community in Thessalonica started. This is the beginning of, of Paul's shared life with these brothers and sisters. Okay, The cost of the shared life is great. Make no mistake. It will... To live life with others in community, it will cost you something. There's no way it won't. It will cost you time. It will cost you energy. It will cost you resources. In some cases, it might cost you your life. I'm thinking about one of the brothers in the community, in this growing Robinwood um, community here. And, and we, again, these are the get to listen to and partake in on Sundays when we gather. And he comes in and he says, you know what? Last night, this happened to me. Um, there was a, a, a group of young men walking down to the end of the neighborhood, uh, guns fully loaded, going to attack another young man. And he felt led by the Spirit to just kind of confront them because he has a story that God has, has and is redeeming, that he actually has authority to speak to these young men. And he see, sees these young men holding these guns, going to, to, to you know, usher in violence into the neighborhood. And he says to them, he, he looks at them, and listen to what he says to them. I'm like, I can't believe he said this. He says, he looks at them, and he says, you all are lost. I'm like, I, do, I would not say that to somebody, a group of guys holding guns, right? He said, you all are lost. What's going on here? You all are lost. And he said, no one can answer the question. And he said, but God doesn't want you to be lost. And he walked away, and the mob dispersed, and they didn't carry out their agenda. You talk about the peace of God, you know, entering into the neighborhood through this person on the team. Again, let me just quote Dietrich Bonhoeffer, and then we'll kind of wrap it up here this morning. Jesus Christ lived in the midst of his enemies at the end, all his disciples deserted him. On the cross, he was utterly alone, surrounded by evildoers and mockers. For this cause, he had come to bring peace to the enemies of God. So the Christian, too, belongs not in seclusion of a cloistered life, but in the thick of foes. There is his commission and his work. And then he quotes Martin Luther. 
The kingdom is to be in the midst of your enemies. And he who will not suffer this does not want to be of the kingdom of Christ. He wants to be among friends, to sit among roses and lilies, not with the quote-unquote bad people, but the devout people. Oh, you blasphemers and betrayers of Christ, if Christ had done what you were doing, who would ever have bared? And what Bonhoeffer is saying, and what I think what Paul is saying, and what we know from the story of how the church was birthed in Thessalonica and what my brother in, in Robinwood is doing is to say the, there is a cost to a shared life. And for some of us this morning, it's time to not live in such safe parameters. Jesus might be calling you out somewhere to do something. And I don't know what that is or where that is, but we would love to help you discover that. This Thursday, you can pray for me and Noah Fowler and my daughter and son, 16 and 17 years old. We're traveling to Havuba, and we're going to be going and joining. You know, we have friends who are followers of Jesus there, a number of churches. We're going to get to go encourage and train. And Mauricio, who's been here before, he's gotten a religious workers visa. He's going to be here in Annapolis, but the Cuban government hasn't allowed that yet. So we're going to the embassy. I'm going to the embassy on Friday. You could pray that the Lord would open up a conversation. I don't know if they'll arrest me or not, but we'll figure that out as we go. But, but one of our relatives heard that we were doing this because our daughter and son are reaching out and saying, hey, we're, the Lord's calling us to Cuba for a few days. Will you pray and support it? And this relative called me and said, I need to talk to you. We're not comfortable or feel good about you bringing Sophia uh, to Cuba with you. And I'm like, man, I am, I get it. I get it. I'm not even that comfortable with it, but I know when Christ calls us to something, we have to be obedient to that. And it's the cost of the gospel. What might it look like for you and me and us to share life together more fully? What does that look like? It's happening in this community, you guys. It's not just in Robinwood. It's in this room. I'm thinking about Will and Sarah last week. J.D. had his surgery, and he needed a place. His caretaker got COVID. They brought him into their home for a whole week, took care of him. That cost them something. I think about Jenna and Adrian and when Johnny and Katie came over the last month from the UK and they borrowed and, and gathered up um, supplies so their children could be taken care of while they were here. It's a beautiful picture. It cost them something. It cost them time. It cost them energy. I'm thinking about Dane and Elizabeth Leakty and they're opening up their home this afternoon. You can talk to them after. They're having a cookout at their house. They're just like, we're just, just come. Burgers, hot dogs, come and connect with us. Be together as a family in Christ. Go. Spend time together. Get coffees together. Community groups together. This life is not to be lived alone. But the ultimate problem is the pressures of our culture and the sin in our lives. They challenge us from living this way, and none of us are consistent with it, are we? All of us will shrink back. It's so easy. But there's good news. There's good news in this passage. There's good news all through the scripture. And here is the good news. Here is the gospel for our hearts this morning. The only way that life, shared life, is possible 
is because of the one who shares with us in the fullest. This is Philippians 2, 5 through 11. I want to invite the musicians to come forward here. Let me just read, us, read this over us as we come to the table. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. Listen, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. The cost of the shared life that God has within himself, overflowing with love, creating the world, humanity is good, being wrecked, devastated by the fall, and God himself being willing to come into the world to die in our place. Those two words in verse 8, shared life. That's what Christ did. He shared, he imparted, he gave the full lot of himself, his life, his perfection, his beauty, his righteousness for all the ways that we will not live like this. And we are found, therefore, through faith in him to be forgiven. He imparted his breath to us in love that we might live in this kind of shared life together. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for the story of the church in Thessalonica, birthed in conflict, Paul recounting the life he shares with her, the transparency of it, the self-givingness of it, the cost of it. And we're asking desperately that you would forge that deeper in us. And it's only as we grasp the depth of your love as demonstrated on the cross, that we begin to be freed up to live this kind of shared life together. So would you encourage us in this? Thank you for where it's already happening. We pray for more of it and that we would be a kind of community that the city, the watching world would say, what is it about those Jesus followers? What is it about those people? And it wouldn't just be believers from downtown, but it would be something that you do across many churches in our city and many churches in our area. And there would be an awe, there would be a wonder around the work of your spirit among us. We would live in radical opposition to the rampant individualism of our culture, and we would live life secure in you together. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen. To another community, Mindful of him.